Psalm 72 of Solomon. Give the king your justice, O God, and your righteousness to the royal son. May he judge your people with righteousness and your poor with justice. Let the mountains bear prosperity for the people and the hills in righteousness. May he defend the cause of the poor of the people, give deliverance to the children of the needy, and crush the oppressor. May they fear you while the sun endures and as long as the moon throughout all generations. May he be like rain that falls on the mown grass, like showers that water the earth. In his days may the righteous flourish and peace abound till the moon be no more. May he have dominion from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. May desert tribes bow down before him and his enemies lick the dust. May the kings of Tarshish and of the coastlands render him tribute. May the kings of Sheba and Seba bring gifts. May all kings fall down before him. All nations serve him. For he delivers the needy when he calls, the poor, and him who has no helper. He has pity on the weak and the needy and saves the lives of the needy. From oppression and violence he redeems their life, and precious is their blood in his sight. Long may he live, may gold of Sheba be given to him, may prayer be made for him continually and blessings invoked for him all the day. May there be abundance of grain in the land, on the tops of the mountains may it wave, may its fruit be like Lebanon, and may people blossom in the cities like the grass of the field. May his name endure forever, his fame continue as long as the sun May people be blessed in him, all nations call him blessed. Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, who alone does wondrous things. And blessed be his glorious name forever. May the whole earth be filled with his glory. Amen and amen. The prayers of David, the son of Jesse, are ended. The word of the Lord. Let's pray. O Lord God, you are the source of all justice and righteousness. Our Lord Jesus, the greater David, came to earth to demonstrate your justice and your righteousness by going to the cross to die for our sins. And may his name endure forever, and may people be blessed in him. May the whole earth be filled with his glory. Amen and amen. Please be seated. Well, good morning. It's great to be with you this morning. Take a look at Psalm 72. As you know, we've been looking at various psalms. Uh, on the one hand, um, there is uh, no like organic connection between uh, each psalm. We've been looking at different types of psalms, penitential psalms, uh, psalms of joy. This morning, we, we have a royal psalm. Uh, on the other hand, we're, we're talking about this theme of orientation, disorientation, reorientation. We're in the season of Lent. We're, we're moving towards Easter in a couple of weeks. Uh, we're going to be at Palm Sunday when Jesus is recognized as a king. So we think about, uh, we think about Psalm 72 and we recognize there's something to be gained from these royal psalms. There's uh, several of them throughout the Psalter. Psalm 2 would be a royal psalm, Psalm 45, Psalm 47. Uh, here we have Psalm 72. 
They're not often preached on. Uh, they're, they're maybe a little bit hard in terms of application because this is a psalm specifically for the king of Israel. And, uh, you know, we're not Israeli, we're, we're not uh, part of that, and so we, we struggle a little bit. How do we bring this over into our context? So hopefully we'll be able uh, to, to make some progress in that. It does seem that the theme of, of kingship uh, is a big one. I know we don't have a king here in the United States, uh, but we all wrestle with kingship in terms of our own lives and hearts. Uh, you could say that we have a, you know, a throne in our heart, and, and every day it's a battle. Like, who's going to sit on that throne? Am I going to sit on that throne? Uh, is, is Andrew going to rule my world, or am I going to allow King Jesus uh, to sit on that throne? Uh, there's a sense in which uh, we love to be part of a kingdom, particularly the kind of kingdom that we're going to talk about uh, over the course of this morning, but there is also that sense in which we, we don't really want a king. Uh, that's kind of uh, describes a, a post-Christian America. We, we love the values that Christianity has left behind, things like justice and mercy and, and some of these things. But we want to have the values without the king. Uh, we want to pursue them in our own way, not in the way that the king prescribes. And it's interesting, you know, several, a couple of years ago, 2017, uh, Burger King uh, developed an uh, ad campaign in Belgium. And Belgium does have a king, King Philippe. But uh, their ad campaign was like, who's your king? Uh, and uh, the choices were the cartoonized Burger King or the cartoonized King Philip. Uh, the crown didn't actually appreciate that too much uh, and uh, said that they did not authorize this and did not uh, appreciate his likeness being used in their ad campaign. But they recognized something, right? Like there can only be one king. And my hope is, as we move through Psalm 72, just wrestle with this theme, kingship, kingdom, it's a major theme throughout the scriptures. We touched on it, you know, as we were going through the parables of Jesus most recently, talking about the tales of the kingdom. And my sense is, is that this prayer uh, that Solomon prays will help us in understanding it. So, let me just give you a little bit of a roadmap for this morning. I want to approach this just basic sort of exegetical questions. You know, whenever we study a passage of Scripture, we want to first of all know what does it say? What does it say? People that read it first, what, how did they encounter it? What, what does it say in that culture? Then we can ask the broader question, what does it mean? Uh, what does it mean in the context of the whole of the story of Scripture? What theological truths are tied up with it? All of those different things. What does it mean? And then we can ask a third question, what does it mean for us? Like, how do we begin to apply it to our lives? And I answered each of those questions uh, in your outline. So, what does it say? First of all, it's a prayer for a king. Now, you notice sort of the title of it said, Of Solomon. Um, we have a number of uh, psalms that say, Of David, and most often 
when it says that, that means that that is the author of that psalm. But there's a little problem here when you come down to verse 20. It says, thus ends the prayers of David, uh, the, the king of Israel. So here's the question. Was this something that was written by David for Solomon, about Solomon, or was this something that was written by Solomon and the, the epitaph in verse 20 is talking about the, the book of the Psalter that ends uh, at this point. And we know that David didn't write all of the, the Psalms, even in the book of the Psalter. It's probably the latter. It's probably written by Solomon, taking that in that sense, and that verse 20 uh, then it's talking about the conclusion to that particular section of the Psalter. But in one sense, it, it's not, it doesn't make a strong difference uh, for how we understand this, whether this is something that is written by David about Solomon or for his reign, or whether it's authored by Solomon himself as a prayer for his reign, really gets us to the same point. It is a prayer for the kingship, the kingship of Israel. And it's praying for some pretty specific things. It's praying for the nature of the reign uh, to be characterized by a couple of things. And I'm sure you saw that as you were going through. Uh, in the first couple of verses, we get hit by these words, righteousness and justice. You know, verses 1, 2, and 3 Give the king your justice, your righteousness to the royal son. May he judge your people with righteousness, your poor with justice. Let the mountains bear prosperity and the hills uh, in righteousness. Two concepts there that really set, <coughs> really set a, a comprehensive picture of, of a moral foundation that the king is, is praying for. Righteousness, this concept of, uh, of upright living, of adherence to a code, a standard. Uh, this is something that is being prayed for for the king, that they would have that kind of heart, that they would care about doing right, that they would care about being seen as doing right, that righteousness would, uh, would mark their rule. And then secondly, of course, you see justice, justice being this idea particularly of standing up for the oppressed, of paying attention to the cries of the poor and needy. I read you the, the verses there, uh, 1 to 3, you see it carries on in verse 4, may he defend the cause of the poor uh, of the people, give deliverance to the children of the needy, crush the oppressor. Verse 12, he delivers the needy when he calls the poor and him who has no helper. He has pity on the weak and the needy, saves the lives of the needy from oppression and violence. He redeems their life and precious is their blood in his sight. Over and over and over again, this person is seen and this person is praying for the, the longing of the heart here. It's not somebody who is simply moral and upright uh, in and of himself, but it's expressed in his care and his concern and his love for those who find themselves in distress, 
for the oppressed, for the needy, for those who cannot care for themselves. This is what the, the king, and is being prayed for for the king, that he would encompass all of that. Righteousness, justice, compassion for the needy. One of the things that struck me in, in thinking about this, and some of you will be familiar with that, they, they talk about sort of moral foundations for humanity. Jonathan Haidt popularized this in his book, uh, The Righteous Mind. Uh, and typically they, they talk about sort of a range of things that on the one hand you have uh, care and justice or fairness. Uh, and then you have like in-group loyalty, adherence to a standard and uh, sanctity or purity. And those are the sort of the five moral foundations. And what, what Haidt and others have said is that we have a tendency towards kind of one side of the spectrum or another. And you can kind of see that played out in our political uh, landscape today. You know, sometimes we would say those who are progressive, more be more on the liberal side, will have a stronger affinity toward the moral foundations of justice, mercy, care. Whereas those who are conservative, more traditional, will have a stronger affinity towards uh, sanctity, purity, adherence to a code or a standard. What you see here with the Lord's anointed, what you see here with the king, is that he is praying that he would encompass all of it. That, that one side of the moral foundation isn't good enough. That we need to be righteous, we need to upstand, uphold a moral code, be seen as a good, right person, as well as care for the poor and the needy, pursue justice, stand up for the oppressed. Uh, this is the prayer of this king, that this would be the story and the picture of their life. And then he goes on and he prays, you know, may this rain flourish both at home and abroad. You see that in a number of different places. Verse 3 where it talks about the mountains bear prosperity for the people, the hills in righteousness. Uh, it's talking about Jerusalem. Jerusalem was ringed about by mountains. Uh, and, and so the, the land, there's a, a prayer in verse 16 that the abundance of grain in the land, the tops of the mountains wave for it. May its fruit be like Lebanon, and may people blossom in the cities like the grass of the field. The king is praying <coughs> that there would experience abundance in the land. But it's not only in the land, note, it's also throughout the whole world. Uh, you see that as the, uh, the prayer continues in verse 8. May this king have dominion from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. May the desert tribes bow down before him. The kings of Tarshish, the coastlands, render him tribute. May the kings of Sheba and Seba bring gifts. May all kings bow down before him and all nations serve him. Verse 19 sort of captures the whole thought. May the whole earth be filled with the glory of Israel. So it's not just a sort of an isolationist perspective. 
You know, the prayer is expansive. The prayer is including all nations, people, tribes, tongues, same types of language that we would see in Revelation 7. There's a, uh, uh, an invitation to those who are, are different from us. And so we read this and we see, wow, what a picture. A, a picture of a kingdom uh, where righteousness and justice are bearing fruit both at home and abroad. Now, some of us may struggle a little bit, you know, with the abroad. I mean, should we really be that sort of imperialistic? Is it uh, a good thing to pray that uh, his enemies may lick the dust, uh, as it says in verse 9? And I understand those concerns, but I think what we have to understand here is that what is what we're being invited into here is something that's bigger than just Israel. Uh, that's where it started, and that's where God started with the story in the Old Testament as he was, uh, as he was putting back together the pieces after Adam and Eve rebelled against him. He started with Abraham, and he started with Isaac and Jacob, and he built up to the nation of Israel. But always... What was in the heart of the Lord was that the blessings that he was giving to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob would be for all the nations. I'm going to bless you. I'm going to make your name great. I'm going to give you a people, he says in Genesis 12, so that you might be a light to the nations. And of course, this is what Israel struggled to remember their, you know, throughout the totality of their existence is that they were given blessing, not just simply to hoard it for themselves, not just simply to go off into their small little enclave, but that they were to be a blessing for the nations. And that really moves us on to what does this mean? Because uh, it's a prayer for an Israelite king at a particular time, right? But what does it mean in terms of the whole scope of Scripture? What does it mean when we begin to understand this prayer in light of the heart of God? And that's really where I want to go next, is the heart of our great King who desires a rewebbing of shalom. You know, as you read this passage and, and you see words like, prosperity in verse 3, and um, abundance, and flourishing in, in verse 7, and then again in verse 16, you see the abundance of grain, the people blossoming in the city like grass on the fields. This is all about human flourishing. This is about, you know, God's created order showing forth the fruits for which it was intended. This is about people being who they were created to be. This is about the ultimate in terms of goodness. And that is what this king is praying for, that it would start in Israel and then it would expand to the rest of the earth. But this is what it is pointing us to in terms of the overarching story. God is not the kind of God. He is not the kind of ruler who desires uh, bad things for his creation. 
He, he has made this world so wonderful. I mean, take a look around. We see the beauty of the springtime. We see the glory of, of God and the image of God as we interact with one another. There are so many wonderful, just delightful things in the world. And, and God has said, look it. It is as you live in righteousness and justice as the king stands forth at the head of this and points to Yahweh and the Torah and all of these things. It's as you experience this that you're going to abound, that you're going to flourish, that you're going to blossom, that shalom will mark its way in you. See, this is where I think we just sometimes struggle as a culture, right? We, we want to have the kingdom. We want to have the marks of shalom and blessing and prosperity. We want to have justice. We want to have righteousness. But we want to have it without having a king. We want to have it in our own way. We want to pick and choose the blessings that, that we want to have. But what we encounter here in Psalm 72 is a king that says, the whole earth shall be filled with his glory, and his glory is glorious. And isn't that something that your heart desires? Part of the problem here, and this is the second thing that we observe in this, what does it mean, the heart of a king, is that humanity is not capable in and of itself. Let's say that Solomon wrote this psalm. Let's say that in his wisdom, you remember he asked for wisdom. We sometimes call Solomon the wisest man uh, that ever lived. So in his wisdom, he knows to pray this. How did Solomon do? You know, Solomon couldn't bring the ship into shore, so to speak. You know, Solomon had his own issues with morality. Solomon's son had issues with justice and oppression of the people. Uh, Solomon was not the answer to this prayer. Neither was David, his father, or neither was Manasseh or Josiah or Asa or any of the other kings of Israel or Judah that were to follow. There was not a single earthly king who was ever able to bring the ship into harbor, so to speak. And that's why, you know, these kingship psalms ultimately go beyond just a prayer for a localized king of Israel. And they're really a longing for a king who could be the king of the entire universe, cosmos, who could be the Messiah, the, the one who is the true king. And that's what we read about in Isaiah chapter 11, that passage that you had for your... Um, uh, declaration of forgiveness. We need a, a, a shoot from the root of Jesse. We need the Lord Jesus who is the true king in Israel. And that is what his life was about. His life was about perfect righteousness. Not a thing could be laid at his feet, 
as a sin, something that he had done. He kept the law perfectly, upheld that righteousness, and he cared for the oppressed. He spent his life healing people, forgiving sins, uh, driving out those money changers from the temple. He cared about justice and mercy and compassion. That was the life that this king came to live. And then when he took up his throne on a cross, he poured out his life blood because our blood was precious in his sight. And we see that ultimately, whether this is David praying for Solomon or Solomon praying for himself, what they were really praying for and to was the King Jesus, who not only went to a cross, but who rose from the dead and right now is sitting in the seat of power and rule and authority, the right hand of God, and who is dispensing righteousness and justice and who is ruling over a a kingdom that goes from the river to the sea, that goes from the deserts to the mountains, that is over all of the earth, and it's all glorious because He is the glorious King. So what does this mean for us? That third question, what is the the way of kings, so to speak? Well, a couple of things I want to mention. I put them all in P's so it would make it easier for me to remember. Uh, The first one is this, you know, praise. You know, when you hear about this type of king and this type of kingdom, my question is, Where does your allegiance lie? To to what king have you given your fealty? It's a question that all of us have to answer. I mean, we're going to be invited to the banquet table of a king in a minute. You're going to be invited to to lift a glass, you know, the cup of salvation, uh, celebrating King Jesus. Is, Is that the attitude of your heart? Uh, Have you recognized that you can't be king? As much as Solomon couldn't be king, David can't be king, uh, you can't truly be king. If you want to enjoy shalom and prosperity and blessing, I'm not talking about finances, I'm just talking about a a way of life, a way that sees it uh, in all of its goodness, you've got to be walking with King Jesus. He has got, his praise has always to be on our, on our lips and in our hearts. And that's the invitation today. I mean, this is what's so great about living in this time and place where we do, is the invitation is now. You know, the writer of the Hebrews says, today is the day of salvation. Today is the day that, that you enter into an agreement, that you enter into a life together bonded to the greatest king who ever existed. So, first question, you know, in terms of the way of kings is, is his praise on your lips and in your heart? The second thing is this, are you patterning your life after him? You know, we read in Isaiah chapter 11, and, and there the, this root uh, of Jesse says, the spirit of the Lord is on me. 
And it's the Spirit of the Lord that enables him to walk in righteousness and justice. One of the great theological truths and and one of the things that really helps us to understand this psalm rightly is that when we, we understand that when we come into relationship with King Jesus, we too receive that same Spirit of the Lord. That same Spirit of the Lord that uh, enables us to, to uphold the law. I mean, we couldn't do it in and of ourselves. If we were just on our own, you know, we'd be like Paul in Romans 7, and the law would point out something, and we'd want to go in the other direction. Uh, but the Spirit, the Spirit enables us to live righteously, to actually uphold the law. And I know that's really, that, that's got to be good news for some of you. I mean, like me, sometimes we, we struggle after that righteousness. We see it, you know, morally, you know, struggle with things like pornography. We struggle with things like alcohol and pursuing pleasure in various different ways. We know that the law calls us to live in an upright manner, but how are we going to do it? It is with the Spirit of the Lord that falls on us. And that allows us to to move in a direction that we can live uprightly. We feel that as well, you know, justice. You think about justice and mercy, the other sort of moral foundations that have been talked about here in this passage. Uh, You know, the, the idea that we could actually enter in with the neediest of this world. I mean, I've told you before, and I think you know, Grand Rapids is not immune to poverty. Uh, we have 30% poverty in this city. We have people walking around homeless. They're beset by mental illness, physical problems. They have no source of help or resources in their life. Uh, there is, is just a deep need. There's rebellion in their heart. How do you enter into that? You know, if we're going to pattern our lives after the king who, uh, who, who loves those needy, who loves those poor, how are we going to do that? It's so complex. You can't really expect me to do that. Well, we have that same spirit who abides with us and, and who comes alongside of us and gives us what we need in the moment we need it, even if we don't have all the answers ahead of time, because I know I sure don't have all the answers. But this is the invitation. It's for, now listen to me closely here, it's for the church, those who are submitted to King Jesus, to pattern their lives after Him and to go out into all the world. One of the problems that we have with this psalm and with other kingship psalms and, you know, just the Old Testament nation of Israel as a whole is we want to pull this over to America and say America needs to look like this and America's leaders need to look like this and America's programs need to look like this. But God has never established a nation like Israel. You know, when we move into the New Testament, it is the church that He has equipped. It is you and me, and it is us together collectively that He has given to to follow this way of kings. We are the ones that are to pattern our lives after Him. And so it's, it's on us. It's not on the government. 
to live righteous and upright lives. It's on us to uh, stand forth with justice and mercy and compassion. It's on us to go out into our neighborhoods and our places of employment and into our extended families and with our friends. It's on us to be these people. Don't look, you know, don't look for it in the government. It, it's great if we have people who because of their allegiance to Christ, see that as part of their calling and go forward with that. But we are not to look to it to a human government. We're to look to the church. And the church is the one that needs to, be, needs to fulfill it. And so when we, you know, decry all that's going on in our country, and certainly there's a lot to decry, the question comes back to us with Psalm 72, are you starting at home? Are you starting in your own heart? You know, are we starting with our community of faith and where we live? Because that is what we are being invited into. Thirdly, not only, you know, are we asked, are we praising him, or is this a pattern to follow? But this is such good news to proclaim. So we have the responsibility in our life but it is the best message in the world to proclaim. I mean, there, there is no greater joy than to go to somebody who is poor and needy, to go to somebody who is experiencing all of the brokenness and all of the hurt of the world and say, look it, I can tell you about a king. And I can tell you about a kingdom where there is glory. And I can help you. I will walk alongside of you. And we proclaim good news. That's what the gospel is. It, it's good tidings of great joy that shall be for all the people. For that person that's caught in, in moral failure, whether they're sleeping around or whether they're, they're caught in drink and you see all of the destruction that it is wreaking and uh, havoc that it is uh, laying in their life to declare that there is a way in which prosperity uh, is the mark not that you're going to have all the money in the world, but you're going to have peace and joy and all of the fruits of the Spirit that come. You'll be part of a community of love. This is the best news that we can have. And the invitation is to sing sort of the, the benediction of verses 18 and 19. Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, who alone does wondrous things. Are you living your life? You know, submitted to Him, He alone, He is the King only. And blessed be His glorious name. May the whole earth be filled with His glory. Amen and amen. This is true. This is right. This is the invitation that we have to sing praise to our King and our Redeemer. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this word. Uh, it is a royal psalm in every sense of the, of the word. Lord, we pray that you would take it and, and drill it into our hearts. Uh, may it set us free, uh, even as we find ourselves much more readily kneeling at your feet, because we know your heart. We know that uh, shalom and, and prosperity and goodness in the full senses of the term are what you desire for your people. 
Lord, thank you for meeting us here. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.